Turn, if you would, to the 11th chapter of Proverbs. Missed being here last week. Somebody asked if I had a restful time. No, I drove 17 and a half hours on Sunday and only 12 hours on Monday. <laughs> I drove uh, one of my daughters up to Colorado. She's going to be spending three months up there uh, teaching equestrian stuff at uh, a Christian camp outside of Lake City. So I dropped her off about 8.30 on Sunday night and went back over the mountain to get back to a place where I could stay for the night and was in quite a snowstorm. So that was while I was going through Slum Gully and Pass. <laughs> so that's what I was doing last week and then drove home on Monday. Uh, minivan? Yeah. So, yeah. She's fine. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, it went, it went real well. Just a very long day. So, No, it's uh, I'm not sure it's connected with anything. It's just right outside of Lake City, and Lake City's a beautiful place. It's just you don't get there by accident. <laughs> my, my daughter kept going, why do people send their children to this camp? You just can't get here. <laughs> That's the idea. Oh, but it was beautiful. So we are continuing in chapter 11 of the book of Proverbs. As I mentioned several weeks ago, we're going to do six more lessons on Proverbs, and uh, then we're going to announce ourselves done. Um, I don't know about you, uh, I have found it exceptionally convicting. In fact, it's too convicting, and I'm ready to quit. <laughs> it is a different way of looking at things than our world today uh, follows. The idea that God is prescribing a way of life to us is counter to our modern relativistic age in which we live. There is nothing in the book of Proverbs about do your own thing and if it makes you feel good, it's right. That is not what God is prescribing. God is prescribing a path of wisdom and God is saying that the path of wisdom brings life. And the path of foolishness brings destruction. And we're going to see that in the first few verses that we're going to look at today, where we look at the rewards of following one path or the other. We're going to pick up in verse 16. We actually mentioned verse 16 when we did the first couple of verses of the chapter, but it is one of my favorite verses in Proverbs, so we're going to go over it again. A kind-hearted woman gains respect, but ruthless men gain only wealth. And what I find interesting about this verse is the whole idea that gaining wealth is the punishment in this verse. It's not the good. And this is so counter to the world in which we live. I don't know about you, but there are many times in my life where the gaining wealth part Sounds like you've won. That sounds like, well, if I can get that, I can take care of all the other issues in my life. But the observation is that the kind-hearted woman gets something that's better, something that may not have a monetary value attached to it, but is better than acquiring mere wealth. 
We have had long discussions throughout this whole series on Proverbs concerning wealth because there is the promise of wealth to those who follow after the path of wisdom. But we have discussed that wealth means not just the accumulation of more stuff. Wealth is a life that has value to it, that has weight to it, a life that means something. It is more than just a pile of gold sitting in the corner. What we learn from the book of Proverbs is that the wicked can get the pile of gold sitting in the corner. They can do that. But that is not a meaningful life. So, the kind-hearted woman gains respect. Tell me something about a kind-hearted woman and why she would gain respect. A gracious. Serving. Very good. She's approachable. Teaching. Helping others. Thoughtful. Nurturing. Forgiving. Ah, we wouldn't want that. Selfless. All of these words describe the character who gains respect. (sighs) Who do we respect in the world today? Hmm? (laughs) I heard what you said. (laughs) Pardon? Popular people. Celebrities. And you've heard the old definition of a celebrity. A celebrity is someone who is well-known for being (laughs) well-known. I didn't make that up. That's some... We can think of individuals who ought to be respected. We can think of individuals who are respected in the media of the day. But what we are dealing with here are people who will probably never make the cover of Time magazine. They will probably never make anybody's list of the most influential people in the world. They will never show up on the evening news, maybe. What we are dealing with are people who in the place that God has put them are demonstrating the character of Christ to those around them. And the observation is those people garner respect from those that they come in contact with. If your goal is to gain respect on the worldwide stage by being a virtuous person, you have a difficult task in front of you. Because the drive that it takes to get onto that stage is often, not always, but often a hindrance to acquiring the character and wisdom necessary to live the life that is being described here. It does happen. We do see a Mother Teresa who enters the worldwide arena. 
But she did that not by trying to enter the worldwide arena. She did it by going and ministering to a group of lepers in a place that you and I probably wouldn't want to go. And over time, the worldwide respect did come. But I believe we need to get our minds off this idea of the only people who merit respect are those who are on the front page of some leading magazine. We need to understand that in our community, in our church, in our families, there are people who are respected because they are kind-hearted, because they practice these different virtues that we mentioned. And the reward for that is the respect of those around them. We could have a long discussion about the whole idea of respect. We live in a very mobile age. People move a lot. They transition from one location, from one group to another. You come and sit in this class, and somebody annoys you sometimes, so you go to the church down the street. And five years later, somebody annoys you, so you go down to the church down the street. And you change jobs, you change locations. And oftentimes what that produces in us is the idea that my behavior long-term doesn't matter. I can yell and scream at the poor worker at the grocery store if I am convinced I'm never going back to that grocery store. Do you understand what I'm saying? I can live a life that does not garner respect. In fact, I can lose sight of the importance of gaining respect because I believe I'm not going to see you again anyway. I'm driving through the middle of nowhere, Colorado, and I stop and I ask somebody something. There are those, and I've met these people, who have the mentality, why be kind-hearted to these individuals when I'm never going to see them again. But the reality of the book of Proverbs is that God sees everything. God sees what we do wherever we are. And what we have here is the kind-hearted woman gaining respect from those around them because of her kind-heartedness. Not because she has more wealth, not because she is prettier, not because of you fill in the blank with whatever the world views as important. Because of her graciousness, her kind-heartedness, people want to be around her. A kind-hearted woman gains respect, but ruthless men gain only wealth. What is a ruthless man? And don't say someone who has no Ruth. When I, w when I was in high school, we were studying Julius Caesar by Shakespeare. And one of the questions was, what is a soothsayer? And I, in my eminent wisdom, answered it, a sayer of sooths. <laughs> and I got it wrong. <laughs> no humor. What is a ruthless man? Someone who steps on others to get what they want. Do you see the... Go ahead. 
self-serving. Do you see the, the contrast between the kind-hearted and the ruthless? The ruthless is going to get what they want no matter what because they want it. And if they have to squish some people, if they have to cut some corners, if they have to do whatever it takes, they will do it. They are ruthless. They are not kind-hearted. They are not looking after the good of those they come in contact with. Now, why in the world does God let them get wealth? I mean, if God were a just God, if God were totally just, why don't the righteous people have all the money and the wicked people die in poverty? They get what they deserve. What do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. They're going to end up with a lot of unhappiness. They get only wealth. Yes. It totally depends on how you, uh, what you, how you define wealth. Yes. I don't know. Tell me what you think. There are different types of ruthless. (laughs) He was the steward of the the owner's wealth, and he knew he was going to be sacked. So he went to everyone that owned money to the master and said, "You owe him a hundred bucks. I'll settle for fifty. You owe him a thousand bucks. I'll settle for two hundred." And then, when he was, when the master found this out, he said, "Hmm, he's a shrewd businessman." I don't know, was he? <laughs> He substitutes wealth for God. That's good. Let's talk about that in just a moment. Uh huh. The implication that I get from that story is the idea that we aren't supposed to be dumb. Okay? First off, we're not supposed to be dumb. Secondly, the, the money of this world is simply a tool that is in our hands to accomplish some other goal. And he was smart enough to use that wealth that he currently had access to to obtain favor that he could use to accomplish a, a, a worthwhile goal. So if you use the wealth that God has given you to accomplish something else, namely the saving of souls in the Christian term, then you are using that wealth shrewdly, correctly. The wealth itself is not the goal. 
It is simply an instrument. And the master was praising the servant because the servant recognized that the wealth was an instrument that allowed him to get good favor, which was the, the real goal. We as believers should use the wealth that God has given us to obtain favor so we'll have an opening to share the gospel with other people. You're right. It looks a little shrewd, a little bit on the edge. But apparently it was within his authority to do that. He was not breaking any laws. He was not giving away. As the steward, he did have the ability to negotiate the payment of those loans. Go ahead. No, it's not. No. The love of money is the root of all evil. <laughs> yeah. How you use it and how you feel about it. Let's tie all of this together. The key phrase is he gets only wealth. How do we define wealth? We've had this discussion over and over again. I liked what the commentary said, and I quoted it two months ago, that to a, someone of the Jewish community at the time this is being written, living in an agrarian society, wealth would have been food on the table for me and my family, clothes on the back of me and my family, a roof over my head, and maybe a little something to pass on to my descendants. That would have been wealth, Okay. It wasn't a pile of stuff sitting in the closet that you don't have time or ability to use. It isn't just the accumulation of more. I remember years ago, I had a, we had a long discussion one day at work about the American dream. And I made the comment, if you go back to the 1950s and look at what the American dream was, we have enough wealth in this country to give that to everybody. But that's not the American dream. The American dream is more. Whatever it is, the answer is more. And God doesn't necessarily always promise you more. Wealth encompassing the material things, let's not deny it, but it also encompasses relationships it encompasses respect. It encompasses a variety of different things that the ruthless man knows nothing about. He really is after mere wealth. The money is what matters. It has become, and that was the observation, it has become his God. And we saw earlier in the chapter that in the day of trouble, in the day of distress, his money will not save him. We saw earlier in the chapter that your money, your wealth can provide a strong city. Wealth can help you to deal with many problems in life. Let's face it. You know, if you're arrested, buying the uh, high dollar lawyer will probably help. Buying, is that a bad word? Oh, sorry. Huh? Honest, okay. Is that an honest lawyer? Is that what you said? Oh, 
(laughs) It does help. But ultimately, in the day of God's wrath, God is not, not, not going to look at the size of your bank account to judge whether you make it into heaven or not. He is not, not, not going to do that. In fact, he may be more concerned if it's too big because then he's going to say, I gave you all this wealth and you did nothing with it. Took your talent and buried it. I mean, I've told you the story in here before of Letourneau, you know, who started Letourneau University, was a, he was in construction. And every year, he would balance his books. I mean, he was a rich guy. He, you know, he, he wasn't living in poverty. He'd balance his books, pay all of his bills, and any money he had left over, he gave away. And he'd start the next year. And once again, he was a rich guy. Okay, I'm not talking about a standard that all of us need. Money, in and of itself, is a bad master. The love of money drives us to do things that we ought not do. It drives us to be ruthless, to be self-centered, and to not be kind-hearted. The kind-hearted woman gains respect. Ruthless men get only wealth. And in the day of trouble, what's going to help us more? The respect of the community in which we live or money that cannot buy what God wants to give us. The thing that I find so fascinating about this verse is that it turns so much of the modern world on its head. We look at the Forbes 500 richest people and we have this vision of, okay, I don't want to be number one, but I wouldn't mind being number 350. I mean, it's still over a billion dollars, right? Who could complain? We have this mentality, this mentality that those who have the most toys are the winners. And it's just not true. Who was it that two weeks ago quoted the bumper sticker? He who dies with the most toys still dies. There's the the old Italian proverb that I've told you before. At the end of the game, the king and the pawn both go back into the same box. At the end of the game, money is not going to save you. The mentality is that money brings with it a host of problems. And sometimes God giving you money is a curse. One of my other favorite verses in the book of Proverbs that we will actually talk about in two or three weeks is in chapter 30. And I've quoted this one numerous times where the individual says, God, give me neither poverty nor give me riches. If I'm poor, I may steal and defame your name. If I'm rich, I may think I don't need you. 
there are problems associated with each end of the spectrum. In our society today, we tend to put value on people who are wealthy. And once again, do not hear me wrong. You can be a godly person and be wealthy. You really can do it. And by the standards of the world, we're all wealthy. You know, it's like the numbers that I was reading this week, you know, all this Occupy Wall Street stuff and people talking about the 99% and the 1%. And the guy calculated out. By the standards of the world, everyone in the United States is in the top 1%. By the standards of the world, everyone in the United States is in the top 1%. Just think about that for a while. Let's continue. A kind man benefits himself, but a cruel man brings trouble on himself. Once again, the idea of reaping some reward because of your behavior. In verse 16, we had the kind-hearted woman. Here we have the kind man. It is interesting that we still have some idea of a kind-hearted woman being a noble thing. We don't oftentimes speak of men being kind. Biblically, it's a great thing. A kind man is one who, what? Merciful. Respects others. Serves others. Perseveres. What? Listens? Did you say something? No. (laughs) Kindness is one of those virtues that we don't talk about very much anymore. Yes. Oh, it doesn't. Not at all. I mean, we, we, we tried to cover that in the first couple of chapters And we're actually going to cover it big time when we get to chapter 31, just as a warning. The book of Proverbs is written, the instructions of a father to his son. It could just as easily have been written, instructions from a father to his daughter or a mother to a daughter. Just as easily. We're talking here about principles that apply to all of us. In verse 16, it was a kind-hearted woman. In verse 17, it's a kind man. What is the common thing out of these two? Kindness. Kindness. The man and the woman are just the illustrations that are being used. We don't talk too much today about people being kind. We talk about people being kind to children. Okay. But in the workplace, in the real world, isn't that a wonderful term? In the real world, we don't talk about kindness. Biblically, it means all of these things that we have proposed. Being gracious, being merciful, being selfless, helping other people. It is, once again, the opposite of the ruthless. It is the opposite of those who only seek their own good. The kind person is looking how to meet the needs of those around them. 
A kind man benefits himself. Huh. That's kind of odd. Look at verse 24, if you would. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. Look at the paradox involved here. Back to verse 17. A kind man benefits himself. Verse 24. A man gives freely, yet gains even more. There is a paradox here that the world doesn't understand. If I want to gain benefit in the world around me today, the modern belief is I have to go looking for that which brings me wealth, that brings me influence, that brings me, that brings me, that brings me. And the paradox is when I give up on that and I show kindness to others, I will receive true, lasting benefit. When I take my wealth and I am generous to others, I gain from it. Now, I do not believe in the health, wealth, and whatever gospel that is oftentimes spread around. I do not believe that if I give $10 to a ministry, God is going to give me a hundredfold, a thousand dollars back in cash. I've actually talked to people who believe that. I mean, just, you know, do the math. I work with engineers, we do the math. I give 10, I want a thousand back in cash. I don't believe that. I believe the return can take many forms. We just saw that wealth in and of itself can be a curse. If I give $10 and the only reason I'm giving $10 is because I want 100 or 1000 back, I am not doing it out of kindness. I'm doing it out of mere calculation. I'm doing it to obtain money for myself. But when I give up on that, when I stop keeping score, when I become kind-hearted, when I become a generous person who gives freely, one day I wake up and I realize I have received so much more than I ever gave, even though it may not be in the form of cash. It might be. I have no idea. God works in mysterious ways. It may not be in the form of cash. It may not be as I expected it. But I receive benefit from being kind. I get the respect of those around me. I am admired by those I come in contact with. I have a good name. And then we always have to remember 
that even if the calculus, the calculations don't work out in this life, we do live in a world governed by a just and holy God. And things do work out eventually. But I would contend that what we're talking about here is a calculation that applies to this world. But when we go into it trying to keep score, when we go into it with the mentality of, I did one good deed to that person yesterday, and they've done squat to me for the next two years. They're off my good deed list. Go ahead. It's amazing what you can get done when you don't worry about who gets the credit. We spend our life keeping score. We keep score with dollars. We keep score with good deeds. We keep score with all kinds of different ways. God is calling us to be kind. Pretty mundane. You are not going to become the most powerful person in the world by being kind. But the promise is you will receive benefits that you can't imagine if you believe God. <laughs> if you believe God. A kind man benefits himself, but a cruel man brings trouble on himself. That should be obvious from what we've said, right? The cruel, the ruthless person thinks that they're beating the system. They think They've gotten around whatever that problem is. They don't have to be nice to you because they're getting ahead in this world. In reality, all they're accomplishing is heaping more trouble on themselves. They are digging a deeper and deeper hole that they may or may not be able to dig themselves out of. The truly righteous man obtains life, but he who pursues evil goes to his death. We're going to go pretty quick through a few of these verses right here because I've got one down here I want to talk about. It involves pig snouts. So, some of you know what this verse is, don't you? <laughs> the wicked man earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. I like that phrase, deceptive wages. What is a deceptive wage? It is a wage that promises one thing, but gives something totally different. Do you remember back to chapter 5 when we talked about the young man and the adulterous woman and in chapter 6 and 7, and it says... I looked out the window and I saw the young man being led astray. The adulterous woman looked good. It looked like a good thing to chase after, but it was deceptive. 
the writer of Proverbs tells us that path leads to destruction. Deceptive wages are when we work to obtain something and we realize it does not bring what we thought it would bring. You've heard the old joke about climbing the ladder of success and then realizing the ladder is against the wrong building. You have been chasing something and chasing it, and when you get it, you realize it doesn't buy what you want. Those who follow the path of foolishness are doing so for a reason. You know, we label it foolishness, and then we start thinking, how could anybody go down that path? It's foolishness. Well, they go down that path because it is exceptionally appealing. There are lots of appealing things down that path, and it is all deceptive. The righteous man, the wicked man earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. The truly righteous man obtains life, but he who pursues evil goes to his death. We're seeing the same theme over and over again. You are pursuing something. You are obtaining something. There is a result of the path you're going down. The Lord detests men of perverse heart, but he delights in those whose ways are blameless. Be sure of this. The wicked will not go unpunished, but those who are righteous will go free. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. Why is everybody laughing? (laughs) What is, who is, what is a woman who shows no discretion? (laughs) (laughs) Who has no good sense. (laughs) Why are we all laughing? (laughs) remember the comment earlier this applies to men women whatever but once again it's instructions of a father to his son what is appealing to sons I mean let's get right down to the bottom line what's appealing to sons fast cars And beautiful women. Okay? The book of Proverbs doesn't tell us a lot about fast cars. Okay? That's going to come later. But human nature hasn't changed a whole lot. Beautiful women are still attractive to young men. What the author, what Solomon wants his son to understand, and I might add, what we're going to see in about seven or eight lessons when we start the series on 1 Kings is Solomon did not follow this. What the author wants his son to see is that beauty in and of itself doesn't promise virtue. A woman who has no discretion... 
a woman who has no common sense, a woman who does not follow after wisdom, a beautiful woman is like a beautiful piece of gold jewelry. It's magnificent, finely crafted, something that you would get at the finest jewelry store in the world, and it's stuck in the nose of a pig. And we laugh at this picture because it is so stupid. Why in the world would you take this beautiful piece of jewelry and stick it in the nose of a pig? And it's interesting for a Jewish audience, there's all kinds of other connotations about sticking this thing in the nose of a pig, right? The young man, the young woman, the older man, the older woman, all of us are driven by what we see with our eyes. And we need to look behind that, to look at the character of the person, the individual that we are dealing with. Otherwise, all we're seeing is the gold jewelry, and we're not seeing the snout of the pig. It's a magnificent picture. I mean, it is funny. It is funny until you start thinking about those relatives of yours, those friends of yours, those individuals that you know very well who have spent their life chasing beautiful pieces of jewelry stuck in the snouts of pigs. God wants us to look at the world differently. He wants us to look at things that really matter. Is there anything wrong with being wealthy? No. But mere wealth will not save you. Is there anything wrong with a woman being attractive? No. No. But mere attractiveness without godly character is like taking something of great value and sticking it in a totally inappropriate place. There was a southern writer who, he's actually a literature professor, I think. He wrote about philosophy and et cetera. And he has a chapter in one of his books on obscenity. What is obscene? And he defines obscenity as simply taking something and putting it someplace it doesn't belong. It is out of the context in which it is supposed to be in. I mean, today we think of about obscenity purely in terms of naked women. That's obscene. You know what? In certain contexts, there's nothing wrong with naked women. In other contexts, it's very wrong. But he was talking about it in the context of, you know, there's been some horrible disaster, and the news person walks over and sticks the mic in the face of the victim and says, how do you feel that your kids were just killed in a terrible fire? That's obscene, because it is inappropriate. 
a gold nose ring, earring, in the snout of a pig is obscene because it is inappropriate. A beautiful woman who lacks discretion, an attractive man who lacks discretion, a man who has only wealth but has no wisdom to go with it. All of those things are obscene in the eyes of God because they are inappropriate. We look at the media that we are surrounded with and it is full of good-looking men, good-looking women, but do they have discretion? We need to train ourselves. We need to train our children to see things the way God sees them and to realize that godliness with contentment is great gain. Is there anything wrong with being wealthy? No. Is there anything wrong with being beautiful? No. But what is most important is are we doing the things that God would have us to do? Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you have shown us how we are to live our lives. I pray, Lord, that we would follow after you, that we would not be led astray by the beautiful gold jewelry in the snout of a pig. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.